Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, PBC. It is a pleasure to bring God's word to you this morning. I apologize in advance if my voice sounds a little scratchy. The pollen is coming in quite thick this year. I wonder how many of us can think of a time when you desperately wanted something good from your parents, but your parents said no, and only to find out later that they had something far better in store. Or maybe you as parents have had your kids come to you and ask you for something that was good, but that you had to say no to because you knew you had something better in store for them. Maybe it was as simple as, uh, as saying no to a snack too close to dinner time, or saying no to going to a friend's house when uh, they wanted to spend their birthday over there, but you had a surprise party planned for them later. Sometimes, I think if we're honest, our relationship to Jesus can sometimes feel like this. Sometimes we ask for something good, the removal of temptation, the healing of a loved one, or the salvation of a family member, and yet it would seem as though Jesus says no. But Jesus, who cares best for us, will say no to the good thing to give us something far better. As C.S. Lewis said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. In our text, we will see Jesus say no to the good and show us something far, far better. If you would, would you please turn in your, in your copy of God's word to Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Uh, and while you're turning the hair, I'll pray and we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it is true, and that you are the God of the word and the God of truth. Lord, I pray that you would give me words to speak that would not be mine, but would come from your spirit, and that you would do what I cannot do and preach boldly to the heart, Lord, and that you would draw many, even in this room, and who are listening uh, to a saving knowledge of faith in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Beginning in Matthew 15, verse 21, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In leading up to this, this section, this, this story, we have seen Jesus walk on water. We have seen his disciples declare him to be the son of God. And we have seen him heal en masse without reservation. 
We have seen Jesus confront hypocrisy. And now we get to see Jesus show us that sometimes healing isn't always instant. Sometimes God doesn't always do what we expect. And that God's purposes are often far grander than we can possibly imagine. If you get anything, I hope that you understand that God is often working for far greater purposes than we can imagine. And I hope to show you this by walking you through the three main pleas in this text. That will be the outline for the sermon, the three pleas. First, we'll see the plea of the woman in need, the plea of the disciples, and the second plea of that persistent woman. So look with me at our first plea, the plea of the woman in need. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. First, I want want us to notice the significance of Tyre and Sidon. It was not a part of the kingdom of Israel. It was north of the kingdom of Israel. And uh, and originally, uh, initially, it seemed like they had a good relationship. The king of Tyre, Hiram, agreed to supply Solomon with wood for the construction of the temple. They were skilled in woodworking, and they were a rich port city. Uh, Right there on the coast, they had trading in abundance. Um, The Bible describes them as having silver-like dust and fine gold-like mud, an abundance of riches. And yet, at some point in the nation of Israel's decline, they turned on the nation of Israel. And God, through the prophet Ezekiel, promises to bring judgment against them, judgment from many nations who would invade them, Just as God used Nebuchadnezzar to judge Judah, he also predicted that he would use Nebuchadnezzar to judge Tyre and Sidon. And from this place comes the woman who makes the request of Jesus. From this Gentile land. And the woman's plea, and behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. The fame of Jesus has spread. His name is reaching even the Gentile lands, and it has caused people to take notice. They've heard about the healings, and this woman comes to him with an urgent request. Her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. I want to make two observations about this request and the grace of God. First, the request is urgent and serious. She had likely tried every resource in her power to heal her daughter, and yet nothing worked. All the idols of her land had failed her. The riches that were in this trading city had not worked. And yet, she heard about Jesus And she believes that he is capable of healing her daughter. She had heard about the healing, and she placed all her hope, her trust, and her faith in his power. And secondly, we notice that Jesus responds by immediately healing her daughter. No. Jesus flat ignores her. Why? I wonder if you've ever felt ignored by Jesus. I mean... Doesn't this seem out of character with Jesus, the God of love? Especially when it seems like he's answering prayers for everybody else. I mean, just earlier in the end of chapter 14, after Jesus walks on water, we see many people coming to him, 
and being healed by just touching the fringe of his clothes. It says as many as touched it were made well. It seems as though as Jesus, Jesus has suddenly gone from answering everyone who came to him to turning the cold shoulder on this woman. Yet Jesus' Jesus's response is not out of his character. Understanding the context of Tyre really helps us in understanding Jesus' response. Tyre was a great and proud city with wealth and prosperity. And yet, it was ultimately under the judgment of God. Jesus had no obligation to heal her or to heal anyone else for that matter. And yet, we need to take notice of what brought this woman to Jesus. Was it not the calamity and pain and suffering of a demon-oppressed daughter that brought her to Jesus' feet? Brother and sister and friend, we must remember that a delayed response from Jesus is not the same as a denied response. This is the grace of God at work in the woman's life. It may be tragic, but that very tragedy shows her of her need for Jesus and there can be no greater need, no greater grace than for us to see our need of Jesus. In his commentary on, uh, on Matthew, J.C. Ryle has this to say about this text. He says, There is nothing which shows our ignorance so much as our impatience under trouble. We forget that every cross is a message from God and intended to do us good in the end. Trials are intended to make us think to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Prosperity is, is a great mercy, but adversity is a greater one if it brings us to Christ. Anything, anything is better than living in carelessness and dying in sin. Better a thousand times to be afflicted like the Canaanite mother, and like her to flee to Christ than to live at ease like the rich fool and die at least, at last, without Christ and without hope. So, brother, sister, we should rejoice in our sufferings. Those sufferings are to bring us to God. They are to show us of our need of him. And we should, just like this Gentile woman, come to Jesus, saying, Lord, O son of David, have mercy on me. She knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. So go to Jesus, cry out to Jesus, fall on your knees before him. And friend, maybe you don't know Jesus. I just ask you to consider why you're suffering. Why do you go through suffering in this life? if not to bring you to Jesus. All those trials and sufferings are meant to lead you to him. Without Jesus, without some eternal hope, your suffering is meaningless. So recognize the grace of God in your suffering and realize that Jesus is often working for a far greater purpose than we can often see. And that is clearly seen in the next two pleas. So look with me at plea two, the disciples cry, beginning in verse 23. 
And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus take on human flesh, come, be born in a town, uh, and, and born of a virgin? Why did Jesus come? Well, in part, Jesus came as the fulfillment of David and Abraham. He came to fulfill what was promised to the king and patriarch of Israel. Notice Matthew 1, 1, the beginning of the book. It opens with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus came to fulfill what was promised to David and what was promised to Abraham, promised to the king and promised to the patriarchs. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 15, he says, For I tell you that Christ came, uh, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to show the promise given to the patriarchs. And what was promised to the patriarchs? If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we'll see God's promise to Abraham. And the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And again that promise is repeated in Genesis 17 where God says, to Abraham, I will make you an exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you, and I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. God's promise was to Abraham. Okay? God's promise was to his children, the seed of Abraham, to the Jewish people. God made a covenant with Abraham, and Jesus comes to fulfill the covenant made with Abraham. Jesus even makes this Jew-Gentile distinction plain earlier in Matthew 10 verses 5 and 6 when he sends out the 12 explicitly to the Jews and not to the Gentiles. To these 12 he, Jesus sent out instructing them go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that background is the foundation for the disciples plea for Jesus to send her away. That's the foundation of their cry because Jesus was sent to the Jews. Jesus is fulfilling a Jewish covenant made with the patriarchs. Jesus had earlier commanded even them not to go to the Jews or not to go to the Gentiles and so that's why they say that. But notice also 
their woman's petition is probably annoying them. Notice what they say, and she is crying out after us. Doesn't that just kind of ring of annoyance? Like a child saying, Johnny won't stop talking to me. Won't stop poking me. He's touching me. And notice how Jesus responds to his disciples. He does agree with his disciples. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't send her away. He does not grant their request. And he does not affirm in any way their attitude of annoyance and indifference to those who are hurting and suffering because they are not Jews. So brother, sister, friend, do not be discouraged in your petitioning to God. God may not answer you right away, but do not lose heart in seeking him. Even when God's people seem to respond in the worst possible way. Even when they seem to respond painfully. Believe that God cares for your pain even if it doesn't feel like that. And we as God's people ought to turn nobody away who would seek God. For there is no dividing wall in Christ, as Galatians 3.28 says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There can be no room in the church for any exclusions based on race, gender, ethnicity, color, or background. No matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've been through, Jesus still extends the gospel to you. You are never too lost, never too broken, never too hurt for Jesus to love you. Jesus still cares for suffering, even if they are Gentiles. And we see that God's plan for the Gentiles is greater than even this woman's wildest dreams. Notice the third plea. This persistent woman beginning in verse 25 and going on through the end of this section. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I feel like there's been quite a lot of misunderstanding about this exchange. Uh, for example, Brandon Robertson, a pastor, uh, has said Jesus uses a racial slur. And what's amazing about this account is that the woman doesn't back down, she speaks truth to power. She confronts Jesus and says, well, you can think that about me, but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. Her boldness and bravery to speak truth to power actually changes Jesus' mind. Jesus repents of his racism and extends healing to this woman's daughter. 
If you're like me, the first time you read that, you probably gasped and your heart probably burned with some indignation, some anger. But we need to answer the question, was Jesus a racist? Did this woman change the mind of Jesus? Did she deserve the crumbs from the table? Or was something else going on? If you remember that God is often working for far greater purposes than we can imagine, it'll help us to see this text the way it's meant to be seen. Unlike some progressives, we can see in Jesus' words a heart for the Gentiles and not a hatred. Was Jesus a racist? Well, no, emphatically not. If he was, first, I don't know why he would say it, because any sin on Jesus' part negates the whole gospel. But we need to ask, why does Jesus ignore her and allude to her as a dog? We need to remember that Jesus' primary motivation in coming to this earth was to do the will of his Father who sent him. There will, there, that will was to bring the gospel first to the house of Israel. Notice how Paul puts it in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. The time of full Gentile inclusion has not yet come, but it is coming. So was dog a racial slur? No. Dogs were not common house pets during Jesus' day, unlike today. They usually roamed the cities, and they were filthy, gross animals. Unclean would be an apt word to describe a dog in Jesus' day. The dog would eat the crumbs from the people who threw out what they didn't need anymore, and in that way survive. And even if, even if this dog as alluded to in this text, is a housebroken animal, as I'm sure many of you who have had pets, are your pets entitled to the food of your table? No. No, they're not. Of course not. But you often give them food from the table, don't you? You know, I did growing up when we had a dog. And so when Jesus called this woman a dog, he is saying, you are dirty. You're unclean, and you have no right to the food of those who eat at this table. I.e., what has come to the Jews is for the, Jew, for the Jews, and those outside the covenant community of the Jews don't have a claim on that blessing. Here's what Jesus is saying. I have come to the Jews, and theirs is the promise to sit at this table. And notice how the Canaanite woman responds. She says, yes, Lord. She agrees with him. She admits her uncleanness, her filth, and her unworthiness before the Savior of the house of David. Brother, sister, friend, is not this what is commanded of all of us the first time we heard the gospel? When we first hear the gospel, does Jesus say, you are clean? Or does he say, you are unworthy to enter the kingdom of God? but I can make you clean. 
turn from your sins. Repent, admit your sins, and be cleansed. We must admit our uncleanness before a Savior. This is what Jesus demands of us, that we admit we're unworthy to be in his kingdom, to have a seat at his table, that you are a sinner in the presence of a righteous king. And did this woman change Jesus' mind? No. Look at the text. She does what Jesus commands. She admits her uncleanness before a righteous king. This is the measure of true repentance. Jesus' mind was not swayed. It was always his intent to heal her daughter. But first, Jesus needed to show her that she was unclean, that she was a sinner in need of a savior, that she was not entitled to any of Israel's blessing, and that she must persist in pursuing Jesus. Is not this story really about the grace of God? That, that a woman from outside of Israel can come to the true king of Israel and be accepted in his presence. How amazing is that? And notice how God uses calamity, the oppression of a demon, to bring this woman to himself. Notice how God shows this woman the importance of her persistence in pursuing him. How easy would it have been for her to leave after Jesus ignored her? Or how much easier yet after the disciples begged Jesus, likely why she can hear them begging Jesus to have him send her away? How easy would it have been for her to walk away when the king himself finally answered her and what he said was, you're unclean like a dog. Jesus, who seems to ignore, is really inviting her into even deeper fellowship with himself. God used calamity to destroy her pride, her self-sufficiency, her self-righteousness, and he uses that calamity to show himself as truly beautiful to her, truly sufficient to meet all her needs. So brother, sister, friend, rejoice in the God who is bigger than your sufferings. Rejoice in the God who brings you safely through the storm unto the shore, the rock of Christ. That suffering may well be the divine instrument that is meant to destroy every barrier you have put up in your heart to keep you from the grace of God and bring you to him. And do not lose heart in petitioning him who is able to save to the uttermost all those who draw near to God through him. But Jesus' aim in this text is not merely to show us the nature of true faith, although he does that. He also wants us to show, he also wants to show us that the gospel won't ultimately be limited to the Jews. Notice the promise to Abraham one more time in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, 
and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The kingdom of God will not be contained to one small ethnic nation in the nation of Israel, but will be spread to all who by faith, real, true, saving faith, like this Canaanite woman who draw near to Jesus. The gospel will come first to the Jew and then the Gentile. And notice how we see in this text a great foreshadowing of a reality yet to come, the inclusion of the people of Tyre. In Acts 21, 3 and 4, we read that when we had come, this is Paul, when we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, and for there the ship was uh, was to unload its cargo. And having sought the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Notice, it is Tyre that Paul sails to. And it is the disciples at Tyre who Paul seeks out. And it is the disciples at Tyre who have the Spirit of God. And it's the disciples at Tyre who prophesy to Paul, ministering to him not to go to Jerusalem. Jesus, by healing one daughter of one Canaanite woman from Tyre, foreshadows the inclusion of many saints who will come from this Gentile city. God in Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of Jew and Gentile. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 2, 14. So how should we respond? Humbly recognize that God does not owe you anything, but in Christ has graciously given you everything. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our own amen to God for his glory. God desires to give you everything, But what you need most may not be what you think. God may be putting you through a trial so that your pride or stubbornness or self-reliance may all be crucified. And we see as God's people that he desires to make you holy. God desires to make you a holy people And like Jesus and the apostles after him, we must be the first to take that gospel message that makes people holy to the lost. To those those disciples entire were the fruit of gospel labor by gospel people. So we ought to be gospel people. Taking the gospel to those whom we normally might not go to. For some of you, that might even mean those outside of Pocosin. You might have to drive to the far-off regions of Hampton and Newport News. It's true. I know. And to the unbeliever, admit your need of him and your unworthiness to be in his presence. 
Jesus gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Recognize that this Jesus is the same God who created this Gentile woman, that he is her ultimate judge, and recognize, as this Gentile woman did, that you're a sinner unworthy. Recognize that this Jesus is the only right person to turn to, because it is he who died for sin and rose again on the third day, so that your sins might too be forgiven. Jesus cares for sinners because he is the God who died for them. So if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, talk to myself or one of our pastors after the service. I'll be at the white flag. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for being the God who dies for sinners. That though you came to fulfill a covenant promise to Jewish people, to the patriarchs, you came for a far greater purpose that all the families of the earth would be blessed and that the gospel of grace would be extended to all of us, us Gentiles in a far-off land that the people of this age couldn't even have imagined, didn't even know existed, and yet you've brought the gospel here. So may we be gospel people. Thank you that the gospel is the only message of salvation, that it is not in our power, but it is in the gospel that we can be saved. And Lord, thank you for our suffering, not because it is good in and of itself, Lord, but because we serve a God who's bigger than suffering and who promises to lead us through our suffering to Jesus. Thank you for being a God who uses suffering to bring us to you and show us the grace that is in Christ, that you do not let us live in comfort and happiness and joy apart from you in this life to suffer for eternity, but rather you let us suffer now a little in this momentary light affliction to bring us into your blessed kingdom, knowing Jesus as our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for our suffering and for the God who orchestrates it all for his glory and our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?